Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Remember the loaves and fishes. So let's open to Matthew chapter 16, verse 5. They were crossing over in a boat, and when he went to the other side, the disciples realized they forgot to bring bread. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Uh, leaven is yeast. For anyone who doesn't know, when you make bread, you put yeast in it, and it causes the bread to rise. Jesus told them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Of course, he was speaking uh, in a parable. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves among the five thousand, and how many baskets we took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets we took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I speak not concerning physical bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? So they're crossing over. Jesus tells them something, but really he's giving them a spiritual example. To be careful, leaven always represented sin in the Jewish culture. That's why um, at Passover, one of the reasons why there's no leaven allowed in their homes because it's about cleansing your homes of sin. Part of it is also remembered back to uh, the Exodus when they didn't have time to uh, use leaven in their bed, but also because they were leaving Egypt behind and sin. So when he was telling them, be, be wary of the, le the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was saying, don't become compromised like them. They're religious leaders and they're priests and all of this and everybody looks up to them, but they're not living right themselves. They're not living in accordance with the word. So he was telling them not to be like them. But immediately their minds went to physical things. They're like, oh my goodness, he told us that because we forgot to bring bread. And he's like, this was after two times. Now the miracle of the loaves and the fishes didn't just happen once, that happened twice. Two separate times when... They multiplied the bread and the fish and fed thousands upon thousands of people. And so Jesus is like, twice, remember the loaves and the fish. Twice, we multiplied the bread. Twice, the Lord supplied their physical needs. And they ended up picking up basket loads full of leftovers when they only had five loaves to start with. He miraculously supplied their physical needs and you're worried about forgetting bread. It's not about the physical things. He was trying to give them a spiritual warning. I think though of all the miracles that Jesus could have reminded them of, the fact that he brought them back to the loaves and the fishes is significant. Because at this point there had been many miracles performed um, a lot of healings, a lot of deliverances, a lot of things that we would think were probably even more miraculous than the loaves and the fish. But I think the reason he brings that back up is to remind them that he is the supplier of even your physical needs because their minds were constantly going back to physical needs. He's giving them a spiritual warning, which we do have some obligation in the realm of the spiritual. Now, we can't do anything without Christ, but we have to have enough faith in what he tells us so there is a level of responsibility and obligation in the spirit. But when it comes to physical needs, really that's for God to tend to us. We're the sheep, his, he's the shepherd. As long as we're following after him, he will tend to our physical needs. And he was constantly trying to remind them, not, don't be so worried, so caught up in the physical Focus more on the spiritual. He wanted to remind them that he's the supplier of their needs and that they didn't need to worry about physical things. We do have a role to play in spiritual needs to some degree. We have to ask him and we have to trust what he gives us. The physical is easy. The spiritual is the real miracle. For people to truly have a, a change or something happen spiritually, that's really the bigger miracle. We tend to look at physical things as the big miracle. 
when somebody gets healed or, or the loaves are multiplied or something physical happens, we think, oh, well, that's the miracle. I mean, when we pray for revival, what do most people pray for immediately? Signs, wonders, miracles, healings. But the bigger miracle is the salvation, the conversion, the spiritual things. But being natural and naturally minded, your mind does tend towards natural things. The reason that Jesus tells us to remember the loaves and the fishes is to tell us to don't worry for the physical. Just tend to the spiritual and the rest will follow. Go to Matthew 6.25. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Hmm. That's a pretty big demand. This is what the Lord says. Don't even think about it. What you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat or food, and the body more than raiment or clothes? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to your stature? And why take ye thought for your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even King Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we be clothed with? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father, he knoweth what you have need of, that you do need all of these things. But rather seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So, for God to give us this word, I think it probably means things are going to probably start getting kind of rough. Because the word that he's giving is, don't worry about the physical needs. I got you. He is a good shepherd. He tends to his own. Does he tend to everybody? He sees... But there are those who have aligned themselves against God and he doesn't always bless. The Bible says that there are blessings and there are cursings. We choose what we're going to receive. But the Bible is very clear that his ear is always opened to the righteous, those who are doing what he says is right, and that his eye is against the wicked. So for those who are wicked, they cannot depend on the Lord to defend or provide for them. Out of his goodness and kindness and mercy, many times he does because he's good and he's kind. But he's also just and he'll do what he needs to do. The only time you have a guarantee and an assurance of provision is when you're in right standing. That's why the passage says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all of these things will be added unto you. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. There are promises that are given to the righteous, and of course we know righteous means those who do what he says is right. So we always seek the Lord's truth and come into alignment with that and do what he says is right. And if we do, then we don't have to worry about tomorrow for the physical need. We worry about the spiritual condition right now and trust that everything else will fall into alignment. So the warning I would put forth is don't get so distracted trying to prepare for tomorrow that you get out of alignment with what's right standing right now, that you lose your spiritual condition or, or you can get distracted in so many ways that you end up walking out of alignment with what God says is right. Simply being in fear can actually put you out of right standing. The Bible says that hell is reserved for the fearful and the unbelieving because fear is an element of unbelief. It's an element of a lack of faith. Everything except the fear of the Lord, of course. We're supposed to have a godly fear, uh, a fear of displeasing the Lord. 
I find it interesting that in the first passage we read, God tells them to think of the past. And then in the second passage we read, he tells them not to think of the future. In the first one, he was telling them to think back on the miracles that had happened. In the second one, he's telling them not to think forward to the hardships that are coming. He wants you to draw faith from what you have seen to know that you can trust him for what you have not yet seen. What he has done before, he will do again and more. So remember your loaves and fishes. I think we can make a whole service out of just remembering miracles. There is no way to remember or to recount all the miracles that we have seen. I always encourage y'all to have a journal to write down the things the Lord's telling you. I also encourage you to have a specific journal to write down the answered prayers and the miracles because you so easily forget. You know, we, we read about the Israelites in the wilderness and how they saw all these great miracles and then like two chapters or two verses later, they've forgotten about it and they're whining and crying, begging God again. And we're like, I would never, but we do because we've all seen amazing, miraculous, unbelievable miracles time and time and time again. I mean, we can't even count the times he's shut up the heavens or split open hurricanes or moved storms around us for us to do things he's called us to do, you know, or the devil tried to rain on our parade literally and God was like, nope. You know, you can't count the miracles that he's performed and we easily forget. But today he's telling us to remember our loaves and fishes. When Ashley was in the hospital, I went during the week um, when Christy and Cole had to work during the week, so I went and stayed with her in the hospital that week. And after several days of driving to Baton Rouge from Bunky, I have this route in my mind. So towards the, I think it might have been the last day she was in there, I'm driving and I have no gas left in the car, but in my mind I knew I had enough to make it to uh, Billy's in Crot Springs. So I'm like, I'm going to fill up there, but I was already like at the, at the bottom. Like I'm, I can make it to Billy's and that's it. I got to, yeah, I got to fill up at Billy's. So I'm driving and the GPS tells me to turn at Stelly's, which is going to take me out towards Lafayette. And it's going to make me five minutes later than normal. And I'm like, Siri, you crazy. You don't know where you go. And I've taken this route every day. I know it now. That's not how we get there. So I just keep driving. Yeah, this is, this is my trip to the River 2.0, for those who remember that other story. So I get to right outside of Crot Springs, and then the traffic is at a dead stop. And I look up as far as you can see, it's not moving, and there's environmental trucks coming up the shoulder. Apparently an 18-wheeler or something had wrecked and spilled, and it was going to be a big ordeal. So I'm like, oh, that's why Siri wanted me to go a different route. Now, if I had listened to instructions... I could have gassed up at Stelly's, taken the, the detour, and been five minutes late. Now I'm stuck outside of Crot Springs with no gas. So I look at my GPS, and there's a road running parallel to this road on the other side of the levee. So I jump the levee and get on the other road in town. So I drive a little bit up that road. It's kind of like in the town, trying to figure out how to get to a gas station. And I can't, there's like no way to get back. So I'm like, okay, Siri, how do I get to Baton Rouge from here? So she takes me a little ways and a few other people have done the same. And then all of a sudden I get to this point where the people in front of me that thought the same thing I did have all stopped and turned around and they're coming back. And I get and it's turned into a gravel road. I'm like, I ain't scared of no gravel road. All right, so I go on the gravel road a little ways. Then it starts turning into a dirt road. Then it's all washed out so bad I got to get up on the levee. <laughs> now I'm on top of a gravel road on top of a levee with no road on the side. No road. There's nothing. That's, so I'm on the levee. And then I'm like, then. When she made it home. I looked at that car. And said, that car was like destroyed. <laughs> so I'm on top of the levee road and I'm driving and. The, all the lights start flashing, you know, the gas, like I'm out of gas and it's, it's, I'm like, Lord Jesus. So I'm like, Siri, where's the nearest gas station? 26 miles back, the same direction. I can't even turn around. I'm on top of a levee. Like there is no civilization. Every once in a while, there's like some reserve outpost or something. And I'm like, okay, Jesus. 
we're on a wilderness adventure because I don't know how to follow directions. We have it on tape. Lord, you are with me. And the first thing I thought of, Lord, I remember the loaves and the fishes. How many times he multiplied the gas in my gas tank back when I used to do ministry in Baton Rouge when I had no income and I would just trust him and, and go for two months on empty without filling up. He, like, he would make it happen. So I'm here in the middle of nowhere and I'm like, Lord, I do not want to have to call Danny to come and find me in the middle of the woods in the swamp with a gas can. So get me to a gas station. And then it gets better. I lose all GPS connections, satellite phone. Everything goes out. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, well, I can't get lost because there's just one way. <laughs> like, I'm just going with this levee. Like, there's, there's no detour. So I just keep going. So I, and I'm just keep praying, Lord, making it's flashing the lights, no gas. The gas never moved. I had no gas. Like, I went for, like, hours with no gas. So I'm just driving. And all I could think of was daddy talking about how many times when they were kids, Paul had went preached in Baton Rouge and they would drive on top of that levee forever and ever. I said, well, maybe I'm on that levee and I'm going the right way. I'll get there. <laughs> so I just kept driving. I was like, if I turn around and go back now, I ain't going to make it. Maybe I'll come out somewhere. And so finally the GPS picks back up again and I'm like, oh, Siri, where's the nearest gas station? Nine miles. Okay, well, that's a little better. Lord, get me there. Lord, get me there. But it was the other way from Baton Rouge. So I had to detour some more. So finally I come out, and there's a normal road again. Woo, a normal road. So I start going this way towards the gas station, and they're still in the middle of nowhere. And now I'm on a causeway over a swamp with no kind of... Uh, no shoulder, no people, no nothing. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm out of the wilderness. But this is a worse place to break down. Like, if I run out of gas here, I don't think Danny can even bring it to me. Like, I'm on a causeway over a swamp, and I see a sign that says Henderson Swamp. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I just drove the Atchafalaya Levee all the way to the Gulf. And so I, find, I get over the cause, over the, all that. Finally, I get to the gas station. My gas has never gone down, never moved. It's still orange and flashing. I'm like, well, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm happy. I got a gas station. I filled up. And honestly, it was, a, you know, the Lord was with me. And so I don't know why he must have wanted me to pray, but I had prayed the entire length of the Atchafalaya River. <laughs> but, but it was my own fault because if I had listened to instructions, I wouldn't have had to do all that. Anyway, so I got my gas. I turn, then I have to turn. Yeah, so I, now I at least have some gas in the car. So I have to turn around and go back across the causeway to go the right way towards Baton Rouge, get to the other side of it, and it's Butler Rose, yeah, Butler Rose or whatever. So that's when I realized where I was. So anyway, I had to drive back across the, the state. I prayed all over this state. No U-turn. It was keep going forward. But I was only like 20 minutes later than I would have been. But if I had followed instructions, I would have only been five minutes later. So the moral of the story is follow instructions and make sure your spiritual gas tank is always full because you never know when you're going to end up in a wilderness because it would not have been that big of a deal if I'd have had a full tank. The only thing that really made it a little stressful was not having any gas and knowing which I, you know, I trusted in the Lord the whole time. I was like, Lord, you never failed me yet. You, 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 and, and as soon as it, I started to that first moment of, of the lights are flashing, there's no gas. I don't know where I'm at. I'm in the middle of the swamps, the woods. There is no civilization. There's not even a road. And now my GPS isn't even working. So I don't know if I can even call Danny at this point. And if I did, there's no way I could tell him where I'm at. At that moment, I'm like, Lord, I remember the loaves and the fishes. You made that gas stretch so far, so many times before. You can do it now. Get me to a gas station. <laughs> and he did. But uh, in the season that I think we're about to go in, we need to remember our loaves and fishes. We need to remember our miracles and our moments of supply, the times where he really got us through. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. Don't panic. He'll do it even a little bit more, and you'll have a better story for it. <laughs> By the time I got to the hospital, I had a story and a word to share. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
So, the Lord is our shepherd and our supplier. I don't know, last week or whatever, week before, it might have been the week before, I don't remember now. Um, I was on a fast, and the Lord had told me for a week uh, to eat out of the yard. Because I, I was on like a vegetable fast already. And then I started to get that cold that everybody had, that whatever it was that was going around. And I started to get real sick, and he told me, eat out of the yard. Well, I, you know, it's in between crops. There really wasn't anything planted other than a few leftover carrots in the garden. But the blackberries, the wild berries were coming in. I had some strawberries, the thistles were there. So, so okay. Uh, for that week, while I was clearing out the garden and, and planting new crops and stripping everything out, I'm working all day out in the heat. And, I mean, I, I usually don't do breakfast anyway, but come lunchtime, I would just stop and go pull a couple blackberries off the, the vines and stuff and eat a handful of blackberries and go back to work. And supper time, I'd pluck a carrot, eat a few more berries, a few strawberries, go back to work. I felt good. I had the energy. It didn't take very much because, you know, real food actually has vitamins and things in it. You know, I laugh because while I'm picking it, I'm like, I'm eating superfoods. You know, what you call superfoods now means like, you know, real food. It actually has vitamins as opposed to just, you know, sugar and bulk. But for the week, I worked nonstop. And really, that was part of the reason probably God told me to do it because he knew it would give me more energy because all that other stuff kind of steals my energy more than gives it. Um, I had more strength. I did, it didn't take hardly anything. And I was healthy. I got over the bug that lasted for weeks for everybody else, lasted about three or four days. Um, and I got better really quick, and I felt good. I had energy, and it didn't take much. And I didn't have to, you know, fight the dogs for it. There was plenty to go around. <laughs> I'm out there picking berries, and the dog is picking them too and eating them. And we're fighting over the berries. But uh, it it... It also, I think, stirred my faith a little bit in the fact that the Lord really is the supplier of your needs. And he will take care of you, and you don't need as much as you think. You think, oh, I have to have all of this. I have to have all of this property and all of this stuff and all of everything piled up, and I have to have so much stored up. You really don't need very much, and you'll feel better for it. The Lord really is the supplier of our needs, and there's always something available. We just overlook for the wants. We we don't tend to understand the difference between needs and wants. There's a lot of things we want, but there's really not a lot of things we need. And the Lord will supply everything we actually need. may not be everything you want. But you'll feel better for it and may not even realize how much those wants are robbing from you. So there was a year I can remember when there was no blackberries. It was just they was not a good year. And the Lord had told me to go for a walk, and I went for a walk, and I was praying, and he would say, turn here, go there. Um, and then he ended up leading me to a huge blackberry bush section area. And it was like there was none anywhere. Nobody had blackberries that year. And he led me right to it. You know, And it, there are those little things, those little reminders that he is there. When it talks about him being our shepherd and leading us to safety and tending and feeding, he really is that for us. We need to remember our times of loaves and fishes, the miracles we've experienced. Um, Daddy's heart attack. The doctor said there's no way that he can survive. He's already a dead man. There's total blockage. There's blood clots. There's all of these things working against it, and, and he's not going to survive the night. It can't happen. It would take a miracle. Well, we know the miracle maker, and every day they're like, how are you still alive? Oh, Jesus. You know, so we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And I think we need to remind ourselves of those impossible things. I know for me, one of the things that how easily we forget how much of the impossible God has done. Um, when, when our dog had gotten injured like two years ago, that really, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of big miracles, but that really kind of stirred my faith because of the severity of the injury. He was impaled through his belly all the way to his back, and I mean, completely through even the meat and everything. And when we brought him to the vet at first, they didn't realize that he had been impaled. They thought he had been hit by a car and it just ripped the skin and they didn't think he was going to survive, and it was the weekend, and they didn't want to deal, so they just sent him home, like no pain meds, nothing. They just sent him home to die. 
So we brought him back home, laid him down and prayed, and I felt like the Lord said, no, he's going to live. He, he, we went through the weekend, prayed over him, went through the weekend with him. He was still alive. So we brought him back that Monday, and then an, an older vet came in and looked, and they were like, why is there air? Because there was air on, like, in between his skin everywhere. Though He was like a balloon. Yeah, and they were like, how is all this air getting in? Something's wrong. So they did the x-rays and all, and there was air everywhere. And they're like, we don't understand what's happening. So the older vet comes in and finds, he's like, this dog isn't, has been impaled. There's a hole all the way through his body. All his blood has poured out. His entire cavity has been empty all weekend. There's no blood. There's no nothing. Like, he should not be alive. And he was still alive. We prayed, and he, God said he's going to make it. So we did. So after a couple of days, they were like, okay, well, we'll... Stitch him up. Sorry about that. So they closed the wound, and we brought him back home, and he, like he did good. And like to me, like it really just like God can do anything. The miracle of understanding that yeah, he's still alive now. He's fine. The miracle of understanding that there was no blood, there was nothing, and it missed everything. He had no puncture wounds in any organs. It barely missed his kidney. There was his guts, nothing. He he was completely fine. Just a hole completely through him. But he survived with no complications, and he never did anything other than after they stitched him up when we brought him back two or three days later, they gave him an antibiotic. Like, and that's the only thing that he really had taken the whole way through. Like, God can do anything. If God speaks, it will happen. So remember what the Lord can do. We have so many miracle testimonies. Brother Chris getting healed instantly from paralysis, getting up out of the wheelchair, Brianna and Corey's uh, freedom from drugs, and, and Brother Wayne's testimony, you know, the PTSD and, and depression and suicide, the Lord has delivered. We all know Carrie and Josh and, and their freedom from drugs and everything else and healings from cancer, uh, Miss Liz's tumor. I mean, we've seen so many, so many miracles. I mean, your testimony, drugs, Lyme, yeah, Ashley's wreck. Ashley should have died. should have been paralyzed in that wreck, and she's fine now. You know the Lord has done miracles. My Lyme's disease. I was should have been paralyzed. Shalane should not be walking. Her feet were so crushed they didn't think she would ever walk again. So you know she's walking. I should be dead already and should not. I was paral. I was bedridden for two and a half years with partial spinal paralysis with the Lyme's disease, and the diagnosis for what I had is only gets worse until you die, you don't get better. So, like, we have seen the Lord do miracle after miracle after miracle. When the Lord called us to, you know, we prayed and prayed and warred against the spirit of death and, and warned about judgment coming on this nation, and then the Lord called us to the revival in Baton Rouge, and we preached for 120 days, and people from all over the nation joined us in prayer, and, and we did the revival one year later exactly from when the 120 days started is when COVID broke out. And one year later exactly to the day that it ended was when the spike started coming down. It landed on Passover that next coming year. We prayed and the Lord allowed it to pass over. The, the cases were rising and that's when it peaked and then started falling back down. And we were warning that there is judgment coming on the nation. Like We were praying against death. So one year later, exactly, this thing breaks out that should have caused a lot of death and a lot of destruction to the nation, but it was weakened and diminished. You have to understand that that's a miracle, that that's an answer to prayer, that we only God could orchestrate those kinds of things. And we need to have our faith stirred for the power of prayer, for the power of God, and for the fact that he still does miracles, and he does it for us, to us, and through us, because you're going to need a little bit more faith in what's about to come. I've told the story about how um, when we lived here, you know, we had everything set up real good with livestock and gardens and everything and fruit trees and all that, and then God told us to move. And where we moved, we didn't have anything set up. But there were wild berries everywhere and thistles and so many rabbit, wild rabbits in the yard, they were like just climbing over things. The dogs would bring them to the back porch. And the Lord supplies. The Lord will tend to the needs of his people. Papa, when he was called to preach, couldn't speak. Couldn't get a word out. He stuttered too much. He had very bad epilepsy as a child. 
uh, and it left him with a very bad stutter. And he prayed and told the Lord, if, if you want me to preach your word, you're going to have to give me new tongues. You're going to have to heal my, my, my speech. And the Lord did. Came the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where he was. And he got a new tongue. He, he didn't stutter anymore. The Lord delivered. When they were having house church meetings when it first started, and then this property came up for sale, at that time, this road wasn't here. All they had was the, the main the road out on the, by the levee, the old road. Back then, it was the only road. And God told them this was it. So Popo and, and the men, they got the property and built the church. And Daddy, it was in the middle of a field. You have to imagine, like, there, this, there was nothing. These houses, this road, none of this was here. It was like putting a church out in the middle of the back of a field somewhere. The first service on Mother's Day, they had to take their shoes off and walk through the mud, through the field, to get to the church. And, you know, Daddy was a kid at the time, and he's like, these people are crazy. Why y'all <laughs> built this church out in the middle of this field in the mud? Well, God knew what he was doing, and within a few years, they came and built the bridge, and the highway department came through and put the main major highway literally at the property line. Didn't even lose any property to eminent domain. The road fell at the property line. I mean, just a few feet difference. What if the road would have fallen behind it and we back of the church would be to the road? Like he put it perfect. It's right at the door of the church with a major bridge that is a, a you know a throughway for the this part of the, the state. So those are that's miracles. That's things that the Lord orchestrates. There's reasons that he does these things, and we need to stir and build our faith that he's still a God of miracles. When Papa and them were, had their ministry in 73, 73, in the year of the flood, um, in 73, when the high water came through, Uncle Gary, which was Papa's older son, got shot point blank in the stomach with a 410, and should have died, died many times on the operating table. I don't even remember. I want to say like 15 times he was pronounced dead. But they just kept praying, and God kept raising him, kept coming back. And so, I mean, God literally raised the dead. And at that time was the time when really the whole Roe versus Wade thing was initially being fought. So they were fighting the spirit of death then, though they didn't realize the fight that they were in. Um, and that's really where judgment was actually beginning because that's what... If you understand the relationship of judgment with these kinds of things, that's when the flooding started and the control structure actually almost fell. Several people died on the control structure because part of it collapsed into the river and was about to uh, go. And if that would have went, it would have wiped out all of Simsport. And of course, the connection being that Simsport had a major role with the initial court case with Roe versus Wade. But there were people who were willing to pray and to fast and to stand in righteousness against sin. And if there is righteousness in a land, it works like salt. It preserves it so that there cannot be judgment. So you have to maintain your righteousness at all costs because it not only protects and preserves you, but it also protects and preserves those around you. But we have to learn to see beyond the surface again. I know this is a lot of scattered, it's a lot of testimony. I'm just trying to help to bring us back to the reality that we're dealing with things that are more spiritual than physical. Because that's the point Jesus was trying to make when he told them to beware the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they're like, what are you talking about, bread? They were experiencing the spiritual so much that it's almost like they became hard to it. And in fact, in another passage, I think it even mentions that they had become hard. And sometimes you get that, and you just start seeing the physical, and it's time to crack open the shell and remember the miracles and the things that we've experienced that show you that really the spiritual is the more important and the more real, and you're going to need to have faith for that again in what's coming. God does still raise the dead. He raised Uncle Gary several times. He pretty much raised Daddy. I can remember one time when... Um, 2008 when daddy had his first was it stents or bypass the first bypass he was in the hospital and he was recovering he had had his bypass and he was recovering we were in there 
and there was a man in the room next to us that was pronounced dead, and his family was coming out the room crying and screaming, and, and it was one of those, you know, really loud, dramatic families where you, can, you know what happened, and they're screaming and crying. And mom was like, oh, no, spirit of death ain't getting that close to us. He ain't coming over here. I rebuke that death in the name of Jesus. I mean, within seconds, they come running out the room screaming, he's alive. He opened his eyes. He's a gipper. And all the doctors start, they code, and they running back in. Dude came back to life. So God still raises the dead. God does miracles. Most of y'all know Miss Shirley. She prayed her husband back from the dead three times. In fact, the last time before he died, he told her, he said, I'm tired and I want to go home. Please don't raise me again. <laughs> and she promised she wouldn't, and that's when he, he actually died. But several through the years, three different times, he had been pronounced dead, and she, she refused. She prayed, and he got raised from the dead. There is still power for those who have faith. There is power for those who need to stir the faith of others. There is power for the hour that is at hand. You know, David Wilkerson often said, man's darkest hour is God's hour of power. It's time to believe again. And not only that, but, you know, those little everyday miracles that we all experience. We see them so much that we actually kind of start to overlook them or take them for granted. It's time to, to recognize them again. Just those little things. The first day that I went to stay with Ashley in the hospital, I don't remember what had happened, but something came up and we ran out of money. Like there was nothing in the bank account, just nothing. And I was like, well, I'm going to stay with Ashley. The Lord will supply. So I take off, drive all the way to Baton Rouge to stay for the day with no money. I don't, no gas, no nothing, no money in the account. Oh, the Lord will take care of it. When I got to the hospital, I sat down and without knowing anything or even knowing that I was at the hospital, Jessica texts me uh, $40 to the cash app thing. And she's like, here, happy late birthday, 40 for your 40. She sent $40 for my 40th birthday that came. Like the Lord, those little everyday miracles that let you know, like he is the supplier of your needs. So remember who he is. Go to John chapter 6. And we're almost done. We're going to read the account of uh, the loaves and the fishes because there's a little bit that I want to glean from it in John's account. And then we'll be pretty much done. Chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove or to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So this was not something he did on a whim. Jesus knew that he was going to perform a miracle to feed these 5,000 people. But I love this account because I don't think in any of the other Gospels does it go into this detail to, to explain that he's looking at this great multitude of people. It says in other accounts that they had followed him for three days without any food. So he, he was done, and he's like, I don't want to send them home. Some came from afar off, and if I send them home, they've been following me for three days with no food. They've been fasting. They might faint in the way. We're going to feed them. And so he calls them over, and he's like, Philip, what should we do? Like, God knows what to do. Yeah, he knew what to do. But sometimes he lets you try to figure it out. Right. But I think the point is for us to see how impossible the situation, to try to figure it out and to realize that we can't do it it says he did it to test him, to see what his answer would be. And of course, he starts calculating. He starts trying to figure this out. What should we do? Okay, this was Philip's answer. Okay, Philip, what are we going to do? Philip answers him. 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, 
Well, we have this much money and that much money, and even if we had this much money, it wouldn't be enough. This, we cannot feed all these people. We, that we are stuck. That every one of them may take a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which had five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. So that was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes, as much as they would, when they were filled he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. I love this story because first he tests them. He, he asked them, what should we do? And bef- I mean, the right answer would have been like, Lord, you know. What, what do you want to do? You, you give the orders. What would Jesus do? Immediately, Philip's like, I got to figure this out. Okay, we have this much money. It's not enough. Lord, we are messed up. We can't do it. And he didn't, he didn't even ask the Lord to do anything of it. He just... This, God asked, he's like, Philip could have been like, man, he gave me the responsibility to try to figure this out. I need to trust. You know, he could have, he could have been that mindset yeah, too. Like, he, he tried his best to figure it out. Philip was probably a figure-outerer. <laughs> Some people are like that. And usually those people, God has to prove to them that they cannot figure it out. Sometimes things don't happen as quickly as we think they ought because God is still trying to prove to us that our faith is in the wrong thing. Our faith is in our ability to figure it out. When really we should come to him and be like, Lord, this can't be done, but you can do anything. So what miracle are you going to perform to make this happen? Do we have the faith for it? That's right. That's right. And another thing I like about this story is the fact that after Jesus does the miracle, And then everybody's like, oh my goodness, he really is this great and mighty prophet and they're going to try to make him their ruler and leader. He runs away and hides. Because you all know that if God used you to do some great and mighty and amazing miracle, you'd be like, thank you. Thank you. The Lord used me for that. You better come to my church. He was like, no. They wanted to make him a king and he went hid in a wilderness because it's about God's glory. So when God uses you in these great and mighty miracles, God gets all the glory for it. Yes, use it to stir the faith of others, but don't ever use it to heap glory upon yourself, because the word says that no flesh can glory in his presence, and the moment you do it, the anointing departs, and the only thing you might get is a counterfeit spirit, and it will only lead you down a road of darkness. I had told him a message. uh, When me and Danny used to do the uh, ministry at the high school in Marksville, and I was doing a message to the kids about miracles. Um, I had used the example to them about, um, you know, the dark side. Because that's what a lot of people in the church want, this power to do great things and to use the force and push people down and to be seen as all this mighty, magical you know, Star Wars stuff. And, and I told them, I was like, it's, it's not for your glory. It's not for your attention. You don't even control the power. You yield your vessel to him to move through you. If you want it for attention and for glory and for a sense of being powerful and all that, all you, you might get it, but it's going to be the dark side. And you know what, you know, you've seen the movies. That doesn't end well. So 
you know, in a way that they could understand. Like that it's it's there are two forces at work. There really are. But ultimately, I think what I want to take away from this passage more than anything is that God waits sometimes to let us figure things out until the answer is God. You do it. I'm asking. He's been giving this stuff about ask, 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 ask him. When he asked Philip, what should we do? He should have been like, uh, we ask you. We ask you. You do the impossible. Do what you do. We're here at your service. Do what you want to do. So remember to ask. Remember that it's not from you. If you're humble and obedient, then God can move through you. We are his temple, his gates his everlasting doors, the king of glory can step into situations through us, but no flesh can glory in his presence. But at the same time, never lose faith for the miraculous. And in the midst of what's coming, difficulties and hardships and all of those things, remember that he is a good shepherd and he does tend to our needs. And the last thing the Lord told me to do was to close out the service by reading Psalms 23. And on the way here, uh, the song started playing uh, in the truck, Psalms 23. And she started playing Psalms 23. So the Lord confirms. Go ahead and pull up Psalms 23, verse 1. We'll read through it to be remembered. This is the Psalms. This is the Psalms where the Lord uh, describes himself to us through David as a good shepherd who tends to his sheep. And the Lord usually does give us this passage right before things go crazy to remind us that he will tend to our needs. So just take that warning and don't fear. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If he's your shepherd, then he's the one that feeds, that leads, that guides, that protects. You don't have to worry. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Those still waters are safe waters. We learned in one of our Wednesday night lessons about uh, in the desert, they have flash floods a lot. And the, the sheep would go to drink from what looked like safe water. And then all of a sudden, a flash flood, if it was raining up in the mountaintops, these little, it, they, it might not even be raining where they were, but they would get these flash floods and it would wash the sheep away. It wasn't a safe place to drink, the, a wadi. But the, uh, the shepherd knew what waters were safe. They were still, they were quiet. He knows where to lead you where it's safe. He knows what is truly his word, which is represented as water in scripture also, and what isn't. He leads us to still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We have to follow his leading. What he says is right. But if we are willing to follow, he will lead us into right places, into right standing, and when you are in right standing, there is a protection and a covering and a provision in it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. For the shepherd, he had that rod and that staff, and that was to knock out the wolves when they would come to, to try to attack the sheep. There is a protection in being close to the shepherd, and we are comforted by that staff, because that staff is wielded against our enemies, meaning the devil, the wolf. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord. And so, confirmation. I'm not sure who was the family in our group shared a little kid that was like two years old who quoted Psalm 23. I saw that. that was was, oh, if I'd have thought about it, I'd have uploaded it to let her read it. It was so cute. Yeah. She was little bitty, and it was just like, wow, that girl that did Psalm 23. Yeah, two years old. It was cute. So, Lord, we thank you that you are our shepherd that you protect us, that you feed us, that you lead us, that you give us goodness forever. Wherever you are, Lord, that's where we want to be, and we want you to be with us wherever we are. So lead us in paths of righteousness. Help us to know what you say is right, and thank you for the reminder tonight that we can't do anything in and of ourselves, and we cannot 
fix the problems that, that are facing us. We cannot save souls or deliver the right message, but that with you, all things are possible. And we truly do believe that you are willing to use the least of these. So we ask you to take our vessels, to take our lives, to take our, our, our bodies, a living sacrifice, and to do your work and your will in this earth Lord, perform miracles that others might see and believe and help us to remember all the miracles that you have already performed in our lives, Lord, that we have nothing to worry about when we find ourselves in those sudden wildernesses, Lord, of our life that we know you have provided before and you will do it again and you will move even more miraculously that we will have a testimony on the other side of it to stir the faith of others all the more. Lord, we thank you that you are with us wherever you send us and that you never leave or forsake us. We thank you that you are a good father, that you are a good provider. We thank you for this reminder tonight, Lord, and even just this small taste, this small uh, sample of the miracles you have performed, Lord. The time would not be possible to be allowed for us to even go over all of the miracles we have seen you do. Lord, so I just pray that you would help us to recall them, to be reminded at the right time in the right place so that we can have our faith stirred in every circumstance and situation in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you that you are a miracle worker, that you still raise the dead, heal the sick, do miracles, do uh, unusual things. As it says about Paul, it says you did unusual miracles, things that that we can't even understand, Lord. It doesn't have to fall into a category, Lord, but you just move mountains for us at every opportunity. So we thank you that you've done it before and that you will do it again and that the more difficult things get, the more opportunity you have to show forth your glory, Lord. So we pray that we would give the right answer when you would ask us, uh, what should we do about this situation, Lord? That we wouldn't try to figure it out, that we wouldn't weary ourselves trying to uh, prepare for tomorrow to come, but that we would remember what you've already done and have faith for it, that we would prepare our spirit and our, our faith and our understanding and our hearing to make sure our spiritual gas tank is full so that we don't have to worry when we enter in to that wilderness, Lord. We know you're going to get us through it and it's going to be all right, Lord, and we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.